0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, episode titled, At Bertram's Hotel, where during a stay at one of London's most elegant and venerable hotels, Miss Marple uncovers a sinister undercurrent of corruption and murder. This will be a five-part series. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening.
1: I was having two weeks' holiday in town at Bertram's Hotel, which did not seem to have changed since I first went there when I was a child. I had met friends I had not seen for years, like Selina Hazy and dear Canon Pennyfather. And I had discovered... Quite by chance, of course, the most extraordinary things about some of the people staying there.
2: We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's At Bertram's Hotel.
1: had a most enjoyable morning shopping at Robinson and Cleaver's. It is so difficult to find proper glass cloths nowadays. You are offered things decorated with radishes or lobsters or the Eiffel Tower, quite inappropriate. But at Robinson and Cleaver, they had plain cloths with a simple red border, just what I had been looking for. And from there, I took a bus to the Army and Navy stores, where dear Aunt Helen used to buy her groceries, and where, if I didn't fidget too much, I would be taken up to the fourth floor to be rewarded with strawberries and cream. The restaurant was still there, changed almost beyond recognition. And there was Bess Sedgwick again, whom I hadn't seen in the flesh until the day before, and now I seemed to be running into her everywhere and she was with the strange young man with the hawk-like face who had arrived so dramatically at Bertram's Hotel. They were talking very earnestly together, and I couldn't help wanting to know what they were saying to one another. So I set off towards the stationery department, and as I passed by their table, I just happened to drop my handbag. What about the weather?
3: It should be okay. No fog.
1: So you're all set
3: for Lucerne? The plane leaves at 9.40.
1: And then, somehow, I managed to drop my keys so that I was able to hear a little more. Whatever possessed you to come to Bertrams yesterday, you shouldn't have come near the place. Why should
4: I not? I asked if you were staying there, and everyone knows we're close friends. That's not the point. Bertrams is all right for me, but you stand out like a sore thumb. You must have had some reason to go there. I came because you were there. That is
1: all. I don't believe you. And then a waitress came and helped me to pick up my belongings. And I was only able to hear one more thing. You're such a liar. I don't trust you an inch. The following evening, I was having dinner early in the restaurant at Bertram's. I always find that eating late disagrees with me nowadays... And I noticed Canon Pennyfather looking anxiously at his watch. Suddenly, he got up and rushed out.
5: Yes, Father, can I get your taxi? Yes, as, as quickly as possible, if you please. I want to go to Gloucester Road Air Terminal.
1: Good evening, sir. How can I help you? Oh, well, I'm going to
5: uh, Lucerne. Yes, here is my ticket.
1: I beg your pardon, sir, but this seems to be the wrong ticket.
5: Oh, no, no, I I assure you, young lady, it's the right ticket. I'm flying to Lucerne by the 9.30 flight.
1: But this ticket is for Wednesday the 18th.
5: Uh, That's right, the conference is tomorrow.
1: I'm sorry, sir, but today is the 19th.
5: Uh, But it can't be.
1: I assure you that it is, sir.
5: But that means that the conference at Lucerne took place today. (laughs) I
1: missed it. What on earth am I to do? And so the poor man went out into the Cromwell Road and had a very disagreeable curry meal and then, totally at a loose end, wandered into a cinema where they were showing a highly unsuitable film entitled The Walls of Jericho, which he had thought might have something to do with the book of Joshua. Joshua.
5: She really was quite mystifying. Or oh, was that woman in the stocking supposed to be Ray the Harlot, perhaps? I <laughs> suppose it has broadened my horizon a little. I bet I somewhere to stay. <laughs> Of course. I still have my room at Bertram's hotel. <laughs> and, good Lord, i still got the key in my pocket.
1: <laughs> it must have been nearly midnight when Canon Pennyfather returned to the hotel, and no one was about.
5: Oh, dear, dear me. Bertram's appears to have shut up for the night, but it must be much later than I thought. How on earth am I to get in?
1: But he found that his key also opened the door to the street, and he let himself in and walked up the stairs to his room, still rather bemused by what had happened. But,
5: it isn't possible. What's happening? It must
1: be going out of my mind. Help me! Help! Help! One of the more curious niceties about the service at Bertram's Hotel is that your morning newspaper is actually ironed before being delivered to your room. And it was from the pristine pages of the Times the following morning that I read of the robbery of the Irish mail train.
2: Hey, what the hell's going on? What's happened? The goods train's been derailed up ahead. You'd better come and see for yourself. Could be
1: a long job. The driver and the guard had both of them climbed down from the train to see what was happening, and they had both been coshed on the back of the head. And then men dressed in railway uniforms went along the corridors, reassuring the passengers that they had nothing to worry about.
3: The line's blocked a few hundred yards eh? ahead. Nothing to worry about. Ten minutes delay, not much more.
1: And meanwhile, men in balaclava helmets were unloading the mail bags. Most of the passengers were sound asleep, of course. But one lady thought she recognised a white-haired old clergyman getting into the train. Another passenger reported hearing the sound of a racing car. And there were rumours of an elderly Morris Oxford chugging away from the scene of the crime.
6: Kensington 1961.
7: Hello? Bridget, is that you? Vera? Yes. Has everything been all right?
1: No, it's been perfectly awful. Your cousin, Mrs Melford, rang up Mummy yesterday afternoon. What? About me? Yes. I thought I'd done it so well when I rang her about your having to go to your dentist. But it seems she thought there might be something really wrong, abscesses or something. So she rang him up herself and found you'd never been there at all. So then she rang up
4: here and, unfortunately, Mummy was right by the telephone. And, naturally, she didn't know anything about it
1: and said, ''You certainly weren't staying here.'' I didn't know what to do. So what did you say? I had to pretend to know nothing about it. I said I thought you'd said something about going to see some old friends in Wimbledon. Why, Wimbledon, for God's sake! It was the first place that came into my head!
7: Oh, well, I suppose I'll just have to cook up something. An old governess or something of the sort... Did you get to Ireland? Oh, yes, I got to Ireland. Was it all right? I found out what I wanted to know. You sound pretty grim about it. I feel pretty grim. Is there anything I can do to help? Nobody can help me, really. It's something I have to do myself. I'd hoped that something wasn't true, but now I know that it is. I don't know what to do about it. Are you in danger, Elvira? Why do you have to make such a melodramatic act of it all? I'll have to be careful, that's all. Elvira, what are you going to do about that bracelet you stole from Mr Bollard? that's all right. I've arranged to get money from someone so I can go and get it out of the pawn shop. Then I shall take it back. Miss Elvira,
8: I didn't expect to see you so soon. I'm afraid your watch isn't
2: ready yet.
7: Oh, I didn't come about the watch, Mr Bollard. I came to apologise. A dreadful thing happened, I'm afraid. Do you remember that when I came in here, I was looking at things for my Christmas present from my guardian, and yes. there was an accident outside in the street. Oh, yes.
8: It's a young girl narrowly being run over, as I recall.
7: Well, I suppose I must have been distracted by what happened. I had a bracelet in my hand, and I put it into the pocket of my suit without thinking. Oh. I didn't find it until this morning, so I rushed along at once to bring it back. I'm so terribly sorry. I don't know how I came to do such an idiotic thing. Well,
8: that's very good of you, Miss Elvira.
7: I suppose you thought someone had stolen it. We had discovered its loss. Well, thank you for bringing it back so promptly. Thank you for being so nice about it. I felt simply awful when I found it. Don't
8: worry yourself about it. (laughs) But don't make a habit of it.
7: (laughs) Oh, no. I shall be terribly careful in the future. Now, you let me know about the watch, then?
4: I'll write to you as soon as it's ready.
7: Goodbye, then.
4: Do you think she really did intend to take it, Mr. Bollard? Oh, yes, most certainly. But I didn't expect her to bring it back. Just as well you didn't notify the police. Oh, I'd
8: never have done that, Miss Mockley. Far too valuable a customer.
4: I wonder how old she is. 17 or 18,
8: I suppose. Hmm. She's probably got herself into a jam of some kind. But she must be rolling in money. Uh, You may be an heiress to a great fortune, but at that age you can't always get your hands on it. And that can turn a perfectly respectable girl into someone who'll take risks. Often quite dangerous risks.
9: (laughs) Miss Blake, well, this is certainly a surprise. (laughs) Come and sit down. Thank you. The last time I saw you must have been when you were about eleven.
7: I suppose that I ought to have written to you, Mr. Edgerton. But seeing as I was in London, I thought I might as well drop in.
9: You've been away in Italy, isn't that so, at a finishing school?
7: Yes, with Countess Martinelli. But I've left there for good now. I'm living in Kent with the Melfords, until I make up my mind what to do with my life.
9: What do you mean, a university? Oh,
7: I'd never be clever enough. I suppose that you'd have to agree to whatever I wanted to
9: do. I'm one of your guardians, yes, under the terms of your father's will. And your solicitor, too, if it comes to that. And I'll always be happy to give you what advice and help I can. Is anything worrying you? No,
7: not really. But, you see, I don't actually know anything. Nobody's ever told me.
9: How old are you now, Elvira? 16 or is it 17?
7: I'm nearly 20.
9: Are you? I'd no idea. And how much do you know about yourself? I mean, your family circumstances.
7: Well, I know that my father died when I was five and that my mother had run away with someone when I was about two. I don't really remember my father. He was very old and had his leg up on a chair. I was rather scared of him. After he died, I lived with a cousin of his, but she died, and so I went to live with Uncle Derek and his sister, but then she died and I was sent to Italy, and now I'm living with the Melfords.
9: But you're happy there.
7: I've only been there a few days. They seem pretty dull. But what I really want to know is how much money I've got.
9: Mm, quite a lot as it happens. Your father was a very rich man. You were his only child. He left all his personal property which was considerable to you. You're a very rich young woman, or will be when you're 21.
7: You mean I'm not rich now?
9: Well, the money isn't yours to dispose of until you're 21, or you marry.
7: And who gets it if I die?
9: Well, as things stand, it would go to your next of kin.
7: And if I were to make a will?
9: I'm afraid that you cannot make a will until you're 21.
7: But if I was married, I suppose my husband would get the money. That is so. But as things stand, the money would go to my next of kin. That's my mother, I suppose. Yes, that is correct. I don't even know my mother. What's she like?
9: She's a very remarkable woman.
7: Didn't she ever want to see me?
9: Oh, I'm sure she did. But having made, in certain ways, rather a mess of her own life, she may have thought it was better for you that you should be brought up quite apart from her.
7: Do you actually know that she thinks that?
9: No, I really don't know anything about it.
7: Thank you, Mr. Edgerton. It's very kind of you to have told me all this.
9: Well, I think perhaps that someone should have told you about your situation before.
7: It's humiliating not to know things. Uncle Derek thinks I'm just a child.
9: Well, he's not a very young man. (laughs) Neither am I, for that matter.
7: Yes, but you don't think I'm a child, do you? I expect you know more about girls than Uncle Derek does. He's only lived with his sister.
10: Much Wenlock 253. Is
1: that Colonel Luscombe?
10: Yes, Luscombe here.
1: I have Mr Richard Edgerton on the line for you.
10: Um, Please put him through.
9: Hello, Derek. Richard. I've just had a visit from your ward.
10: From Elvira?
1: Yes, and I
9: thought perhaps I should have a word with you.
10: Why on earth did she come to you? She's not in any trouble.
9: No, I wouldn't say so. She's even rather pleased with herself. She wanted to know about her financial position.
10: You didn't tell her, I hope.
9: Why not? What's the point of secrecy?
10: I don't think a girl of her age ought to know that she's coming into such a large amount of
9: money. Money is a responsibility. I think she ought to be prepared for it. But she's so much of a child still. I wouldn't describe her that way. Who's the boyfriend? I beg your pardon? I said, who's the boyfriend? There's someone in the offing, isn't there?
10: Nothing of the sort. What on earth makes you think that?
9: Nothing that she actually said, but I've got some experience, you know. I think you'll find there is a boyfriend. Well,
10: I can assure you that you're quite wrong. I should know if there's anything of that sort going on. She's been very assiduously looked after.
9: The ingenuity of the young female of the species is beyond anything you could conjecture. You keep an eye on her, Derek. Make a few inquiries as to what she's been up to.
10: Nonsense! She's just a sweet, simple
9: girl. What you don't know about sweet, simple girls would fill an album, Derek. But what's really been worrying me was one of her other questions. Hmm? Why is she so anxious to know who'd inherit her money if she dies?
10: Oh. I must admit she asked me the very same question.
9: Oh, did she now? Why should her mind run on early death? I... Oh, I wish Bess would get in touch with the girl. Oh, have you been talking to Bess on the subject?
10: Well, yes, I did. I ran across her by chance in Bertram's hotel. I tried to get her to see Alvira, but... She refused, point blank. She more or less said that she wasn't a safe person for the girl to know.
9: Looked at from that point of view, I don't suppose she is. She's mixed up with that racing driver fellow, isn't she? I've heard rumours, sir. Mm, Bessa's friends can be strong meat.
10: Always been her own worst enemy.
9: I suppose that's one way of putting it. Well, sorry to have bothered you, Derek, but keep a lookout for undesirables in the background. Don't say you haven't been warned.
4: Bertram's Hotel.
6: I would like to speak to Miss Gorringe, please.
4: Just a moment. Who is calling, please?
6: My name is Mrs. McCrae. I am Canon Pennyfather's housekeeper.
4: One moment, please. Miss Orange here. How can I help you?
6: My name is Mrs Macrae. I'm Canon Pennefather's housekeeper. Can you tell me, uh,
4: is he still staying at the hotel? I'm so glad you've telephoned, Mrs Macrae. We've been rather worried as to what we ought to do.
6: Why, what's the matter? Has something happened to him?
4: Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. But uh, we expected him back from Lucerne on Friday or Saturday.
6: And I expected him back here last night. That's why I'm ringing you. Do you mean to say he hasn't returned to the hotel?
4: No, he hasn't. His room was booked until yesterday, and, and all his things are still here. We know that he's inclined to be a little forgetful. Yes, I'm afraid he is. But, you see, it poses quite a problem for us. We're fully booked, and his room is required for another guest. You have no idea where he might be.
6: Well, no, I haven't. I um, I think I'd better get in touch with Archdeacon Simmons
1: and ask him to come and see you. Of course, I couldn't help noticing the Archdeacon when he came into Bertram's hotel, such a distinguished-looking man. He marched straight up to the reception desk and had a long and rather detailed conversation with Miss Gorringe. There's no doubt about
4: it at all. He left here on the 19th in the early evening and took a taxi to the air terminal. And uh, did he have any luggage with him? Just a small BEA travelling bag. Everything else was left in his room. His
1: luggage is in the porter's office now. And so the archdeacon went into one of the hotel telephone kiosks and spent a considerable amount of time and money making a great many calls and then he rushed off to catch the last train to Chadminster.
2: I'm sorry to say that I've had very little success so far, Mrs. Macrae. I've established that Canon Pennyfather left the hotel in the early evening, but after that he... well, he seems to have simply disappeared. You mean he didn't get to Lucerne? No, he never turned up there. I've spoken to an old friend of his, Dr. Weissgarten, who was there and several people remarked on Canon Pennyfather's absence. He didn't send a message to the conference or anything like that? Nothing at all. You don't suppose he took the wrong plane? (laughs) I suppose with Pennyfather almost anything is possible, (laughs) but if he had, surely
6: we would have heard by now. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Simmons. I don't know why it didn't occur to me before. According to Bertram's hotel, he left there on the 19th. Yes,
2: at about 6.30 in the evening.
6: But that can't be right. The conference in Lucerne was on the 19th. You're
2: sure of that?
6: Quite certain.
2: Then he quite simply got his dates wrong. And when he got to the air terminal, they would have told him his ticket was for the previous day.
6: And he'd missed the conference. So what would he do then? Go back to his hotel.
2: He still had his key with him. They told me he'd forgotten to hand it in, but he never arrived back at Bertram's. Or did he? (laughs) Nobody seems to have seen him there, so what happened to him on the way? He could have met someone, I suppose. Well, it's perfectly possible. Some old friend he hadn't seen for a long time, he could have gone back and stayed the night. But he could scarcely have stayed with him for three days and forgotten that his luggage was still in the hotel. He'd have run up about it or gone round to collect it. Three days' silence, (laughs) that's what's so inexplicable. He might have met with an accident. Yes, Mrs McRae, I fear that's quite possible.
6: We should try the hospitals. But surely we'd have had by now if anything had happened to him. He had his cards on him and all sorts of things in his wallet that would say who he was and give his address. You know, I think there's only one thing for it.
2: We've got to go to the police. Tell me pretty Are
3: there Good morning, Inspector Campbell. Morning, sir. You've, uh, you've got some disappearance case on hand, I gather. You care to tell me about it? Uh, yes, sir. A Canon Pennyfather, elderly clergyman. Doesn't sound very exciting. No, sir, it isn't. What do you look like? Well, oh, there's a description here somewhere. Um, yeah, here it is. Height, five feet, eight inches, large thatch of white hair, scholarly stoop. Mm, And I understand he disappeared from Bertram's Hotel. Yes, sir, on uh, November the 19th. The 19th? And they've just reported it? (laughs) Took their time about it, didn't they? (laughs) I think there was a general feeling that he would just turn up. (laughs) Mm. Any idea what's behind it? Mm. Has he gone off with one of the church warden's wives, suppose? <laughs> <laughs> was he embezzled church funds? Or is he the sort of absent-minded chap who goes in for forgetting where he is? Mm, the latter, I should think. He's done it before. What? Disappear from a respectable West End hotel? No, not exactly that, but he's not always returned home when he was expected. Oh. Occasionally he's turned up to stay with friends on a day they hadn't asked him, or not turned up on the date when they had. That sort of thing. Mm, sounds fair enough. And he disappeared on November the 19th. Hmm. He was supposed to be attending a conference at, um, uh... i got it here somewhere. Yes, uh, at uh, Lucerne, Society of Biblical Historical Studies. And the old boy, uh, you did say he was an old boy. Uh, very, sir. So the old boy didn't turn up. That's right, sir. Was last heard of leaving the hotel for the air terminal. <laughs> Doesn't sound as if he'd gone off with a choir boy. <laughs> <laughs> I expect he'll turn up all right. Uh, but we're looking into it, of course. Um... Are you particularly interested in the case, sir? No, not in the case itself. what really intrigues me is two things. First, the date on which it happened. The date? Hmm. November the 19th. I don't see... Oh, come on, Campbell. Ah, the night the Irish Mail was robbed. Mm. But what could that possibly have to do with him? I don't know. Not yet. Except that there was a report of an elderly white-haired clergyman getting down from the train at the time of the robbery. Oh, but surely you're not suggesting that well, the Well, I'm cannon... not suggesting anything at this stage. I'm just indulging in a little speculation. The attack on the Irish mail was the most recent of a series of really big robberies. Bank hold-ups, payroll snatches, thefts of consignments of diamonds. Mm. They've been cropping up at a rate of one a month. Do you think they're connected in some way? I'm pretty certain that they are. Each robbery suggests the same kind of careful planning. Nothing's left to chance. There's clearly a highly intelligent and imaginative mind behind it all. Uh, But I still don't see how Canon Pennyfather fits into it. All right, let me give you an instance. You remember the London and Metropolitan Bank hold-up in um, Carmelie Street? Uh, I was on leave at the time, but I, I certainly heard about it. Uh, well, we put out an appeal to the public asking for information about any cars seen in the neighbourhood at the time of the crime. And we got a tremendous response. Far too tremendous as it happens. About 150 pieces of misleading information. <laughs> but nothing that led anyone. Anyway. Well, I'm coming to that. Eventually, we managed to narrow them down to seven cars that might have been concerned in the robbery. But there was one car that was reported by a probation officer, a Morris Oxford Black Saloon, number CMG 265, and he said it was being driven by a Mr Justice Ludgrove. Mm. Oh, He'd seen his picture in the papers over the Holt abduction business. Mm. Not a face easily forgotten. And was it him? Oh, no. He was in court at the time. But he does have a black Morris Oxford... But its number is c m g two five six not c m g two six five uh, I'm sorry, but I, I don't see what uh, well this it's has hard got to, to know what there is to see, but it's rather a coincidence that there should be a Morris Oxford car of the right color with a number just one digit wrong, and the man driving it closely resembling the owner of the car and you say that Justice Ludgrove was in court at the time? Yes he was, and there's my second point. He so was staying up th- in town that night. And you know where he was staying? Bertram's Hotel. Uh, I I just don't get it. Neither do I. (laughs) I don't know what there is to get. There was a similar case in connection with the jewellery business at Brighton. Oh, uh, Pearson's? Yes. Hmm. There was some old admiral or other, well, I've forgotten his name now, some woman identified him most positively as having been at the scene of the crime. And he wasn't? No. He was up in London that night. Went up for some naval dinner or other. And he stayed overnight? Yes, he did. And you know where? Bertram's Hotel. Uh. Well, it's probably just a coincidence. But it makes you think,
1: doesn't it? My days at Bertram's were beginning to fall into something of a routine. In the mornings, I would visit the glass and china departments of the large West End stores... I suppose that perhaps I should have made rather a greater effort to go to picture galleries and museums, but somehow they didn't seem to interest me any more. I did venture into Madame Tussauds, which always used to be Aunt Helen's great treat, but I no longer knew who the waxworks were supposed to represent. They certainly weren't the kinds of people one would have heard of in St Mary Mead.' After a little nap at lunchtime, I would venture a little further afield on a series of carefully planned excursions to places I had known as a girl. I went to Battersea to take a sentimental look at Prince's Terrace, where my old governess used to live, but the house was no longer there. In a street close to the park, I couldn't help noticing a racing car of some foreign make, which looked just like the one I had seen parked outside Bertram's Hotel. Fan 2266. Fan! Like poor Fanny Goldring, who had the most frightful stutter. 2266. I had rather overestimated my strength and greatly needed to sit down for a while, so I decided that I would take tea at the cafe in the park. I collected a tray with a pot of tea and two sponge cakes, and while I was looking round for a table, I caught sight of Malinovsky, the racing driver, and Bess Sedgwick, talking to one another in a corner. Hmm. First the army and navy stores are now here. What strange places these people choose for their rendezvous there wasn't a table free that was very close to them but fortunately i had a strong pair of spectacles in my bag so that i was able to get a closer look at them and then i saw i'd been mistaken it was not Bess sedgwick who was with malinowski but her daughter the girl i had seen with colonel luscombe at bertram's hotel they were bent forward over the table so that their heads were almost touching The girl was obviously desperately in love with him, as only the young can be in love. Hmm? First the mother, now the daughter. Bad all through, what does it mean? Is that lovely, unhappy young girl proposing to run away with that sinister-looking creature with a face like a bird of prey?